We are in Matthew chapter 5. We're starting a series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which uh, spans three chapters there. And uh, so we'll probably be there all summer talking about uh, what Jesus taught. If you have a red letter edition Bible, that section is packed full of red letters because it's recordings of Jesus' actual teachings. Today we're doing an intro, but uh, we're going to get into the first 12 verses of the chapter. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and let's read along. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Join me in prayer. Dear precious Father, we do thank you for your word and for these words of Jesus. Lord, open our minds and hearts that we may understand and fill us with your Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and knowledge. Lord, please loosen my mind and tongue that I be able to deliver the message you have given so that it helps us all grow closer to you. Again, we thank you for your love and goodness to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The setting for this is pretty easy. Matthew 5, 1 tells us that Jesus uh, was there at the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 4 ends with him being there at the Sea of Galilee, and he saw the people, and he went up into the mountains there to speak to them. I can imagine in my mind's eye that he found a rock outcropping that would have been easy for people to see him and for his voice to carry kind of made maybe a natural amphitheater. The Sea of Galilee rests at the foot of some mountains, and it's really kind of interesting. There's two rivers that flow down into it, and they come down out of the mountains. And if you remember some of the storms that occurred uh, uh, there with Jesus and with the disciples, and the cold air comes blowing down out of the mountains down through the river ravine there. And when it hits that body of water, you've got cold air hitting warmer water and it turns into some pretty horrific storms. And, and so that would have been the setting. And then Jesus really kind of helps us preachers out here. And maybe I need to emulate him more because he says when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. So I, I might, might, might want to take that up to where I sit and be comfortable. But Jesus spoke to them. And as I think about this, I think about the verse that we've been reciting or reading after our service where it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
We see that over and over. One time when Jesus is descending into Jerusalem, he looked over the city and he, you can hear his lament. We said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you would turn to me, I would take you like a hen takes her chicks and shelter you under my arms. Just the heartache that he had, the burden he had for the people. And that was our Jesus. He saw that they were struggling. He saw the turmoil they were in. And so is the case here. As he's, he saw them, and he knew what they were hungry for, or, or he knew what they needed even more than that. And so he sat down to teach them. Jesus didn't have the benefit of a sanctuary with sloping floors or microphones. He didn't have to contend with trains going by and whistles blowing or airplanes. It would have been, could have been quiet as he spoke. I'm sure he had a real strong dynamic voice, kind of had to. And, but he didn't have the noise that we have to contend with. He didn't have HVAC systems running on and on it goes. But he sat there and he, he delivered this message. Plus, I, I really think people back then probably had a greater skill at listening. We, we listen in such short bits and, and tune in and out, but they would have had to really focus on him. And I'm sure they wanted to focus on him with what the Son of God was saying. So, so he had that. He taught them. And it's interesting, when Jesus saw his compassion, we have those recordings in other scriptures where he healed the sick, he mended broken bones. He led the disciples one time to find some food and he took the boys five loaves and fishes and he, he multiplied that to feed the people. But we don't see that all the time. Jesus did not go into every town and, and set up banquet tables for the people to feed them. He didn't have healing crusades as far as we know where he came and laid hands on everybody. Those were the things that people were looking for. They were looking for a, a, a king to come rescue them from Roman domination. They were looking at everything temporal and Jesus did meet some of those needs, but more importantly, and true in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed the real need of the people, and that was to develop a abiding relationship with, with God and following God. And so we want to dissect these first few sections, and the scriptures tell us that when he, he began teaching, the disciples came to him. And we need to understand that word disciples. So often today, 2,000 years later, we think of the 12 that Jesus called, the 12 disciples who later became the apostles. But Jesus is not talking to just those 12 disciples and its broader definition is anybody listening to a teacher, following them around to see what they had to say. And that's what this was. This was not just those 12, 
It was the people that were present in that area. Some of them, we have every indication, followed him from place to place in order to listen to him and, and hear his teachings. They were seeking something. And so that's the, who these disciples were. They were everyday people like you and me. And we can go to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and Jesus teaches, Go ye therefore unto all nations. And the first thing he says, making them disciples. We often have a concept in our mind that a disciple is someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and then followed him. And that's true. But before that, if you're just listening to learn, you are a disciple. You're studying, and that's who, and Jesus said in 28, go, just tell people about Jesus Christ so that they will come and hear his message. And then he says, baptize them. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things. And when we break that down, we have evangelism. How shall they know unless somebody tell them? bringing them. We have Andrew. Andrew, when he met Jesus Christ, it says, Andrew went and told his brother and brought him to see Jesus. Bringing people, that just sharing. We, th we think of evangelism as having to share a lot of scriptures, of having to give testimonies, and that is part of it. But part of it is, why don't you just come and listen? Why don't you find out who this is and let Jesus talk to them. Let the Word of God speak to their hearts rather than us taking that responsibility, which isn't ours, which we can't do, of, of converting them, but rather bring them to Jesus Christ. So that in Matthew, starting out, evangelize, tell them about Christ. Then it's baptize, bringing them into the fellowship. That baptism doesn't save that baptism is a testimony of the decision made in one's life. The water doesn't wash anything away unless the person's kind of dirty getting in there, it might. But it doesn't wash away sins. The sin, if they believed in Jesus Christ, is already forgiven. It's already gone. He's already cleansed it. But it is an act of obedience for one thing. Jesus Christ exampled that and He told us to do that. But then it's also a testimony to others. This is a decision I've made in my life. And that brings them into the fellowship of the church. Uh, they're accepting Christ, and then that baptism is a uniting factor. Then after that, we have discipleship, teaching people to the things of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to follow God. And so we have this teaching on disciples and on that process. And so the people came to hear Jesus teach by the Sea of Galilee, if we think about that, if we contemporize that, it's our community. And I've shared with you before something Larry Orange, our former association director, shared with me that on any given Sunday, as you drive to come to church, nine out of ten homes are not in any church anywhere. Nine out of ten, ninety percent. And so 
we have that urging, that need to bring them in, to tell them about God the Father. And they should, they need an invitation. We can sit back all we want and say, well, they know we're here. They should come. They know they're welcome, but they don't. Some people can drive by something every day and they don't even see the church. Some people never even think, or they wouldn't want me, I'm too big a sinner. They know what I've done or they don't know what I've done, but they don't really want me or, or I'd have to dress like Mark and Wes do to be able to come to church. None of that's true. The church is open for each and every person to come to hear the Word of God, but they need to be told that. They need to be invited. They need to know that we want them and we desire to have them here. And so that's part of the challenge that we have to tell our neighbors. And so to repeat, we need to be telling them and we should be involved in social ministry like we are. One of the things is I've come up into this area and learned about the backpack ministry where our, the churches and the people of our community get together and they're meeting currently. They do it up at the Methodist Church where they gather. We provide materials. They're put together in a backpack to give to the children to show the love of Jesus Christ through meeting a practical need. And that is part of the ministry we should be doing. But it should not be the sum total of our efforts are the only thing we do. We need to do more than just meet those practical needs. We need to tell them about Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus does here. He knows our struggles, but he knows that the most important solution is a deepening faith in the Father through Jesus Christ. So just as these people were gathered on the hillside, they had all the needs that we have. There were some who hadn't eaten. There were some that were hungry. There were some that needed healing. There were some that needed a special touch. But what did Jesus do? He sat down and started teaching them how to be blessed. And if we follow in Jesus' path, we get from Luke 19.10, it says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his primary purpose. He did, on occasion, meet some of these needs. He did heal. Some of that was really as a testimony to the glory of the Father and who he was, but he also had compassion on the people. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so that's what he does, starting out in this chapter and what he does throughout it. I want you to imagine in your mind that you wake up and you're in the middle of a forest down in a valley. You come to, you look around, and all you can see are trees everywhere, thick groves of trees. And every way you look is a, is a path up to have to climb out, and some of it's difficult terrain. But then you look and you see some steps that as you take each step, they provide a way out. And when you get to the top, you can see in the distance perhaps some light through the trees, and that's a meadow, that's an opening that you want to get to. And along the way, those trees that are so thick are marked showing you the way to go, how to get 
to the light, how to get out of the dark forest, how to get to, uh, to that light and the warmth of the sun. That's what the Beatitudes is. When you think about it, it is a path from the darkness to the light. The word Beatitudes, uh, like so many descriptions we have, comes from Latin, Beate sunt, blessed are. And uh, we, we've uh, anglicized that into Beatitudes, and that's what we call these verses that we read here, the blessed are's of Jesus Christ. But he's, that's his way of showing us out of the darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. And he gives us those steps. There are eight steps to take in those blessed R's to start moving towards God. And that's what we want to look at. It is uh, always challenging studying the Word as it is if you've ever learned any language. You know that whether you're learning German, French, Spanish, or they are language, you very often and almost never can do a direct, what's called a transliteration, a direct uh, exchange of words. You have to understand the setting and come up with the word that means that. So often there is no direct word to use, and so it is here. And blessed is something we need to understand. It's not, uh, you know, I enjoy more and more people, it seems, when uh, I go out to eat or I purchase something, they'll, they'll end up have a blessed day. And I like that. I, I'd rather have it than get out of here. I don't want to see you again. Uh, so I, I enjoy that, and, and I'll do that from time to time. The blessed here is really a, a really deep experience, and it's not happy. Happiness is a, is a temporal emotional state. We can be on our way home and we're happy, traffic is flowing good, and then we get close to exit 22 coming into LaGrange and it's at a standstill. Now I'm unhappy. And uh, we, can, we can be traveling through town, getting the street, just all the r green lights, no, I'm happy now, and then a red one stops me, oh, I'm unhappy. It's temporal, it changes based on our circumstances. Blessed is deeper than that. It's, it's even deeper than joy. Blessed is getting into that state of godliness, becoming like Him, and having that, that assurance within us that He's in control, that we can rest in Him, that I don't need to fret and worry and struggle that my Father knows me, loves me, has compassion, and I can do what I need to do. And so blessed is that sense that we are given through these verses. It's that drawing into godliness. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it, you could even say, may you be blessed. May you come into blessedness. And then Jesus steps through this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There are two words in the Greek, another, another challenge with changing languages, uh, for poor. There's two different words. One is ptokros, and that is a poorness, but you can help yourself. It may be you're poor financially, 
but you can go to work, earn money, and hopefully work yourself out. You have some impact on your situation. That's not the poor use here. The poor use here is penace, which is a poorness that you, can, you just can't do anything. You are totally broken and unable. And Jesus said, blessed are those poor in spirit, which means those people who realize they can do nothing to get back in full fellowship with God. That they don't have the power to, to take care of that sin nature. That none of their almsgiving, none of their sacrifices, none of those things, while all good, can bring salvation. That's being poor in spirit, is just understanding I'm a wretched person, lost without Jesus Christ, and I can't do anything without His strength, grace, and mercy. That's what it's talking about here. Those poor in spirit who understand that, who get that humility, who get that realization of those, their position and accept Jesus Christ, then the kingdom of heaven is for theirs. So we must realize our poorness of spirit so that we accept and receive the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Next is, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn here is not over the loss of a loved one. That's a mourning we do. But it is that mourning for our sin. Realizing the grief that our sin causes the Father. Realizing the, 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 our sin, the separation and not only the relationship with Father, but realizing the turmoil and trouble it causes our fellow man by our wrong actions. And so it's a deep mourning, a sorrow for our lifestyle. And thus comes a desire to change. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not a, a favored word in our society right now. We too often relate meekness with weakness and one has nothing to do with the other. Meekness is actually strength. Someone has defined meekness as strength under control. Meekness is a burly 250, 300 pound linebacker that can take your head off sitting down with this little girl at a tea party. That's what meekness, and not breaking the china. That's what meekness is. It's strength under control. It's not weakness. And it takes great strength to be meek, to be able to be humble, to have humility, to control those urgings within us that we all struggle with. It takes strength, meekness, to not talk like the way of the world, to not follow the ways of the world, to not go those places, to choose to do differently, to choose to follow God. And that takes a strength when all of our friends are chasing after the, the sinful pleasures or the pleasures of this world, and we instead say, no, I'm not going to go that way. That's hard. That takes strength to resist that peer pressure. So that's what meekness is talking about here. And being meek is to be angry about sin. To be angry about the ravaging that sin does. 
against in people's lives. To actually want to see that change and, and to know that even though we see that, that we don't go half half-cocked, we don't go condemning people, being judgmental, but rather we calm ourselves down and say, how can I help? How can I speak to them in such a way that they'll recognize the love of God? So we control our natural reactions to fly off the handle or to jump on their case and develop an empathy and a sympathy for people, not to condone, not to excuse, but to learn how to deal with them, to help them to the path they need to go. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Part of that training is understanding a child or each other and how they need to hear a lesson and how they need to have the Word of God. This, the same Word, but there's different ways to present it. And it's one of the reasons that I encourage all of us to share our faith because there are people that I can relate to and who relate to me that I can say something to them about God and they'll receive it. And then there are others that don't want to give me the time of day, but you have impact with them. There are people that have commonalities. If you are a person that served in the military and you understand that lifestyle, you can connect with that person better than I can who's never been in the military, who doesn't know that, who hasn't endured that. And on and on the list goes. So that's why we need all of us sharing the Word of God because we each respond to different people. And so under meekness, we have that same drive to, to seek and to save that which was lost, but we control our natural inclinations in order to minister to the other individual in the way they need. Some need a servant spirit, just seeing that we're willing to take part in their lives and to help them. In the movie we showed Sunday night or Friday night, Jesus Revolution, there's a place in there. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Kelsey Grammer of Frazier plays a pastor and he's in a, a traditional church that's struggling and the people don't like the hippie culture and that kind of thing. But the hippies, Chuck Smith, the pastor, Kelsey Grammer, embraces them. They start coming to his church because they're feeling accepted. And one of them talks to the pastor afterwards and says, Pastor, they don't wear shoes. They're staining the carpet. And the pastor says, that's what you're coming away with, dirty carpet. So what does he do? He wrestles with it. What can he do? He knows the struggle, the conflict that's going on. So the next Sunday, these same people walk up. They see a line of these hippies going down the sidewalk. They wonder what on earth is going on. They walk up to the door, and the pastor's down on his knees with a pail of water washing their feet. And he turns to one of them and says, I guess that takes care of the carpet instead of preaching at them about you're messing up our, our pretty sanctuary, get some clean clothes, get some shoes on, he cleans their feet, an act of service. And so there are different ways to speak to people, and that was one way that he did that. That is meekness. 
is taking on a servant spirit in order to get the message. Number four is blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. My son's had to take on a, a new diet. Uh, he's doing this. Uh, he still is struggling with cancer, and so he's taking this diet in order to help. And I, I just he's got more discipline than me. It's based on carrot juice. I don't like doing carrots at all, maybe mixed in with a roast or something. But he's, he's mixing carrot juice and other things, and he's, he's doing that in order to, to help his body. And I know he gets hungry. But he has a phrase someone picked up, and you may have heard it before. Used to be, we ate to live. Now we live to eat, right? We used to eat to live, now we live to eat. You're probably already trying to figure out where you're going to go for lunch and what you're going to have. We don't really get hungry and thirsty, not like some people around the world do. And we don't get hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that right living of God. And so Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, not filled with food, filled with the truth and mercy and grace of God that will sustain them. Blessed are the merciful as we become more like Christ. Instead of being angry with others, we have mercy. You know, one of the places of growth that we can come to as an adult with people that irritate us, drive us crazy, are jerks towards us, all those kind of things, is realize something's driving them. Perhaps they didn't receive love. We were talking earlier about children from fatherless homes, how they don't have the example of a father, who they don't have that person, that protection, and how they get a wrong impression of God the Father. And we can be so irritated with the things they do and the ways they live, but then we can also understand they've not been taught different. They're not trying to irritate us, or even if they are, they don't know what they're doing, but they need mercy. They need us to understand, and again, they need us to be patient and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and give them time to absorb it. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Growing to that place to where we don't have to struggle with, should I do this, should I not do that? We know God, we know His Word. I tell the example with my children. They, uh, they were very frustrated growing up because they'd try to play mom and dad like kids do. And they'd go to mom and she'd say something and they'd come to me and I'd say the same thing. And they'd have their friends, well, just go ask your dad. No, I know what he's going to say. Well, just try him, go see. No, I know what he's going to say. They didn't have to ask whether I would approve of some of those behaviors they were wanting to do because they knew their father. If we'll study God's Word, spend time praying, meditating, we get to know our Father, and then we don't have to ask, God, should I do this? We'll know according to His Word. He's given this to us as a revelation of what He wants. 
He expects us to read the manual. He expects us to study this, to know his mind. That doesn't mean he isn't willing to speak to us, but he wants us to take this, uh, someone said Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. He wants us to know it, and then his Holy Spirit will take us beyond those basic instructions into a deeper walk with him. But some of the things that we struggle with, we shouldn't have to uh, grieve in heavy prayer. Lord, do you want me to have an affair? And no, don't do that. I've said that, don't be adulterous. Don't be a fornicator. He's already written it. He's not gonna rewrite it, he's not gonna say it different. And so he expects us to know that. So that's, that's being pure in heart is developing that walk with God to where we're seeking his way and seeking a pure heart. And it's an ongoing progress. We won't achieve that until he calls us home, but we need to be moving towards it. And that's what he says. Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the movie Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock. You may have seen it. But she goes on, and of course she doesn't have, she's in a beauty pageant as an FBI agent. She doesn't want anything to do with it, but she gets roped into it. She gets in the top five, and she's having to do the little speech about what do you want. And she goes on to this thing about I want women to know how to defend themselves and how to stand up and be strong. And everybody in the audience is kind of, then she says, and I want world peace. And everybody's, yeah. You know, that's the joke about those pageants. We think about that. But what Jesus is talking about here is not so much that, but peace within. As I get older, and I don't know if some of my seniors here uh, can confirm this or not. But as I get older, I think the most important thing gets down to, do I have peace with God? Amen. Am I at peace with Him? Uh, not that I'm perfect. That's, that's, that's a different thing. We're not going to be perfect. But I can be at peace with Him because when He uh, convicts me of a sin, I confess it and try to move from it. When he speaks to my heart, Wes, do this, I respond. And so we are at peace, and I lay at night not worried about whether I'm going to pass, not worry about what's going to happen if I pass, because I'm at peace with my Father. And that is wonderful and beautiful and good. And that gives me strength to go on and do those things. That's the peace we're talking about here. Yes, we want peace in our world. But again, instead of a temporal solution of taking away all the guns, peace comes from lives being changed to where we, we live rightly before Him and we serve Him and we, we don't let have these bouts of anger and rage that are out of control. It's a more difficult, we think, but it's, the, I think, the real solution. And it saddens me that that's not talked about that. It's always generate another law, take something else away, put up another restriction, instead of let's get back in touch with the Father. Let's get back in touch with those values of treating our fellow man right. Finally, number eight, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
most of us have grown up being persecuted. We're picked on for being fat, freckled, uh, scraggly hair, long hair, red hair, purple hair, uh, whatever. Somebody's ready to make fun of us. You throw a ball like a girl, they'll tell the guys. Uh, different things. We've been persecuted, but this is pointing out for righteousness sake, trying to live the life that God has called us to. That's what righteousness is, trying to do the right thing. And it, when we are persecuted for that, it puts us into the, the relationship, the community with Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what he went through. He wasn't rejected by the Jews because he broke their laws, but because he told the truth about who God was, because he was breaking down their system, because he was freeing the people uh, and worshiping God. They had erected uh, barriers that oppressed people. And when Jesus started breaking that down, that's when they came against him, wanting and eventually murdering him. So being reviled is persecution, and it includes people lying about you to cast you in a bad light, and no one likes that. But when we're persecuted for being what is true and right, it's an indication that we're becoming like Christ. Jesus said, you know if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And that's hard because we all want to be liked. But you know, I'm, I'm not 100% there. But one of the things I've realized when I get to heaven, and if we imagine like we like to personify it with pearly gates and, and having to enter, that it's going to be Jesus Christ standing there saying, yes, he's one of mine, come on in. It's not going to be my neighbor. It's not going to be the person at the store. It's not going to be any of you saying, whether I get in, and I'm not going to be there saying whether you can get in. It's the Son of God, the one we have to accept. And so it behooves us, it's smart of us to live a life so that when we get there, it says, oh yeah, I know you, come on in. The Apostle Paul understood that. He said, I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. All we men like that, power. Do the Tim Tool Time Taylor thing. But Paul goes on, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. When we know Jesus Christ, when we're one with Him, we're going to endure some persecution and suffering. But it's worth it all because of what He's preparing for us. It's worth it all because of what He's done for us. It's worth it all because of what He will do for us. Jesus Christ gave these steps in attaining righteousness of God and the state of blessedness. God wants to pour out good on us. He is that good, good Father that wants to do good to us, but He is a good Father that He doesn't enable us. He doesn't just, uh, just uh, give us a trophy for not doing anything. He, he, he let, makes us live for it, work for it. And as we do that, we grow, we get strengthened. 
we become like Him, and He blesses us. He provides for us. And this is what Jesus, in these verses and as we continue on, is trying to teach us the way to become like Christ is to obey what He says. And as we do that, He will bless us. And sometimes He blesses us with more responsibility but that's a good thing. But Jesus, by the absence of it, teaches us that blessing isn't just giving us everything we want, when we want it, right now. He wants us to grow in Him. That's the most important. The psalmist says, we are like a vapor. We hope to live maybe 80, 90, 100 years. Some of you uh, are, are enjoying that. I hope you're enjoying it, getting there. But even that is just a blip in time and in eternity. And so we want to, we should want to grow so that that eternity is everything we want it to be. As we get this blessedness from following God, from taking these steps, from obeying Him, we still have struggles. They aren't erased, but we have one that sees us through. We still have difficulties, but we have one that gives us strength. We have questions, but we have one that gives us answers and learning. We have one that sees us through and then who stands ready to welcome us when we do reach the pearly gates, as it were. I don't know what it's really going to be like. Heaven's gooder and better than we can imagine. Like I said, we personify it with human things. We, we, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. These are the steps that Jesus gave to draw us to godliness. As the people were sitting there with their needs, He didn't give them all a basket of food. He taught them the ways of God because as they do that, they'll be blessed and God will provide day by day as they walk. He goes on, well, in my analogy, let me go back. I talked about the forest. As we get up to the top of the steps, we have the trees. It's in the distance. The trees have a marker. The rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus lays out those markers. He gets specific about how to live in certain situations, and we're going to spend the next few weeks, um, maybe months, going through that of what Jesus is teaching, some of them are really hard. Some of them go against our common sense. Some of them go against what we want to do. An eye for an eye. To love our enemies. That's stuff we don't want to do. But Jesus said, doing them is how we obtain godliness. And godliness results in blessedness, and, and through all that, we're assured the Heavenly Father will meet our needs. So that's going to be the next pattern. To understand Jesus' teachings, we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Christ today, this sermon and others can make absolutely no sense to you at all. Because you don't have God within you interpreting, telling you this is truth giving you understanding. So the first step is that being poor in spirit. 
understanding that you need to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the first step. That's where it starts. You just simply cannot understand God's thoughts without Him indwelling, interpreting for us. He said, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I am above that. So we need God within us, teaching us, showing us. And so I invite you to take that step today. If you haven't acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior, asking Him, accepting His forgiveness for your sin, and letting Him fill you with the Holy Spirit, that's where blessedness begins, and we invite you to do that. To continue to grow in faith, as we all should do when God calls upon us, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Too often, we dismiss the Holy Spirit. We just don't have time to go into all that, but we don't acknowledge that He's part of the Godhead, that He is God, that He is empowered, and He is there. Jesus purposefully said, I'm going so that He could come to give us those thoughts. So each one of us who have followed Christ as Savior, we need to surrender regularly, daily, moment by moment to the leading of the Holy Spirit because He's given to give us the mind of God and to help us. John Don from 1600-something penned a poem that said, No man is an island. We need others to help our way. We need a church home. We need a family that can support us as we go. We want to be that home for each and every one. We're not perfect. We haven't. We're like Paul. I have not yet achieved this, but we're moving towards the mark, and we want to be able to help you to grow there as well. And so we invite you to come be a part of this family.